Good morning. Thank you, Nate. So, as Nate mentioned, uh, name is Jeff McConnell. I'm uh, a deacon from Meadowlands uh, Baptist Church. I go to the college there as well, taking some courses. So I have four little ones at home. And then I'm off to work for another two weeks at a time before I come back. So it's, But it is a great blessing to be able to be here. Um, been to this church, I think, once before. Uh, maybe like five years ago. So it's nice to be a part of a, a sister church and find new family members. Uh, long lost family members. And so it's, a, it's awesome to be able to open up the Word of God to you. So first things first. Let's uh, pray and then we'll... We'll dig in. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, time to be able to come together still yet, even with uh, different restrictions coming our way, but we are a persistent spirit in the gospel, and we love you, we love your word, we love fellowship, and so we thank you for continuing to endure through this, that you've given us the spirit in order to do so. Open up the word to us, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So the uniqueness of the Christian faith is our faith is a testimonial faith. <clears throat> if I looked at other religions, and I go to the heart of Africa, or if I go to North America, pre-colonization days, you're going to have spirits, and some spirits that cause fear in the men who are worshipping them. Worshipping them out of compulsion. Some people's gods are gods that are not personal. Or they are a personal God that's so abstract <clears throat> that they cannot interact with man if they choose not to. But our faith has always been a faith where we have a God who interacts with us through history. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see man walking with God in different ways, solving man's problems in different ways, overruling man's sin in different ways. And so our faith is a testimonial faith. It is a faith that I could put out and say, look, this is what God has done. Here's the evidence. Here's the eyewitness testimonies of it. So when I, when I say testimony, a lot of us tend to think, well, conversion testimony, type of testimony that you would have pre-baptism or church membership. But that's not necessarily the only type. Now that is a type, right? So some testimonies and some conversion stories just thrill us. Lee Strobel, when he went from atheism all the way to the Christian faith, was quite a, quite a remarkable testimony. But there's testimonies that we've also had, such as physical afflictions, where God has brought us out of physical afflictions. You think of Joni Erickson Tata and the physical afflictions that she had, and how God delivered her out of there into a different mindset of one previously. We think of testimonies even as far as oppression, Nazi Germany, right? With Corrie ten Boom, or gang life with Nicky Cruz. He came out of gang life through the help of a uh, Pentecostal minister. And so we see all of these afflictions, but all their liberations are through Christ, and all their transformations are the same. So with every testimony, you're going to have an affliction, there's going to be a liberation from that affliction, and there's going to be a transformation. And that is a showcase of God's glory in your life. Mark 5, 1 to 20, there's actually a testimony that is unlike any other. 
MacArthur, John MacArthur says, the incident in this passage is the most dramatic and extreme encounter between Jesus and the forces of hell recorded in the Gospels. So I want you to turn with me, Mark 5, we'll start in verse 1 to 28. <clears throat> We're going to take it piece by piece. But an explanation is needed. Christ just got off of the boat, and he just tamed in an unruly storm. And when he did that, what was the heart of the disciples? What was the response? Awe before God. Who is this man that can do such a thing? And so you're going to see a radically different response, but of same significance here in this passage. There's a group of Gentiles who are going to witness something that will cause them to possess a fear, but a different type of fear. So that if you're taking notes, or mental notes at least, the first part of a man's testimony in this man's is his affliction. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadarenes, and when they had come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. There's our context. Christ comes off the boat, man with an unclean spirit comes. Now what was his afflictions? Verse 3 continues. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with chains and shackles, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always day and night he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. You have a man who's going through self-destructive torment from an outside force, technically inside now. You notice the first part he mentions that he dwells among the tombs. He's making his home in an unclean place as an outcast of Jewish society. This is his home. No human should have a home like this. And yet this is where these demons have taken him in their affliction towards him. Notice that he is uncontrollable. That he was a threat to the safety of the people. Chains would not work. And so actually one of the other synoptic gospels mentions that people wouldn't go this way for fear of him. He breaks not only the chains, but the shackles around the chains, the hardest part, he shatters them into pieces. This man is possessing some form of strength outside of himself he cannot control. And so he is in affliction. And not only that, he is untamable, the scripture says right there. Verse 4, neither could anyone tame him. Every animal can be tamed by man. Not this guy. There's no rules to keep him in line. There's no person to put him in a check. He's on his own. He's overpowered by a force he can't resist. He's afflicted in every way, almost like the mythological wolfman. He's at night in the mountains cutting himself. Could you imagine taking a piece of stone and producing extra scars day after day, it says in the scripture, on and on. This is his affliction. Second part is his liberation. What frees him from this state? Verses 6. Take a look with me in verse 6. 
when he saw Jesus from afar, so before he was close to him, long ways off, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Christ said to him, Come out of the man and clean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered and he said, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him them out of the country. So now we know who is causing this affliction. It is this legion of demons within a man. And I want you to notice a few things. Verse 7, they cried out. They implored him. Verse 10 says, they begged him earnestly, these demons. The ones who have been oppressing a man for so long with terror are now in terror themselves from who they're walking in front of. And notice, their terror is warranted. They've identified who this man is. It says, Christ's identity in that scripture, Son of the Most High God, they recognize that. He's not a man. He's not just a mere man. He is the Son of the Most High God. He's not an angelic being, like Michael. He is the Son of the Most High God. And all the power that comes with that. And the second thing they noticed, and they cry out, don't send us away. Right? Don't torment me. That means they know Christ's ministry one day will be a ministry of torment towards them. They're fearful. And so they beg him. So how does Christ liberate this man? All we know right now is the interaction between Christ and the supernatural realm at this point. Verse 11. Follow with me. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, there they are begging again, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned within the sea. So the violent nature of these demons is now transferred into the animals. Because the animals now run what? Violently down the hill to their own death and destruction. The self-destructive nature that this demon had on the man is now turned onto the animals. And God allows them to perish, but he will not allow the man to perish. He saves, rescues the man, and allows this other thing to happen. The pigs running violently is a clear indication. Pigs are stubborn creatures. They don't walk very fast. For them to possess some form of nature to start all of a sudden running crazy down a cliff into, uh, right off the cliff to their own death, is a supernatural occurrence that is going on here. And notice that Jesus gave them permission, the demons' permission to do that. This illustrates Christ's sovereignty over the demonic realm. Before, when the disciples just got off the boat, they saw his authority over nature. Now, they're seeing authority over the demonic realm and Christ's power. So Christ is now the one who liberates him. He is free. How did that change him? So next point, 
We have the we have the affliction, we have the liberation, and now we're going to see a transformation in this man. Verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. So those who took care of the pig went out and told people what's going on. And they went out to see what, what it was that happened. Verse 15. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, the demoniac, had the legion sitting, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Notice he is sitting. Another synoptic gospel mentions that he is sitting at the foot of Christ. He is sitting. He's not wandering the tombs anymore. He's not running off into the distance. He's not possessed. He's now sitting. He's now clothed. Another synoptic gospel mentions that he was without clothing. He is now clothed in modesty and dignity instead of what happened before. And he is in his right mind. He is not crying out in turmoil. He is not afflicting himself with pain. He's proper sitting down and they saw it. Guess what they said? What was the response? What would be your response? Think for a quick second. If you saw something like this happen, a man you know was crazed, now sitting in a proper mind next to this other person that you've never seen before. Well, here's the response of what the people had. In verse 16 it says, Those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart. Rather than awe in the nature of Christ and what he has accomplished, they're fearful enough to send him away. They're scared of him. And so it is with the nature of, of every sinner. Right? Notice sin's power over people in full display. That you would witness something as wonderful as that and be like, nope, I reject Christ. Is that not our country? Is that not Western civilization? We see the beauty of what Christ has accomplished through schools, through uh, godly political systems. We've seen what they've done with charities, hospitals, the beauty and everything. Wherever the gospel went, flowers blossomed behind it. And man says, no. We'll take that. But you can walk your own way. Thank you. Not us, church. We won't do that. We take the blessing, but we want the one who gave us everything as well. And so you see what a sad comment that a miracle is not enough to convince the hearts of the unbeliever. One commentator said it this way, What a sad comment on a man's fallen and unregenerate state is this, that a man should feel more at home with the demons than with the Christ who has the power to cast them out. So we walk through three major events of this man's life. We walk through the affliction, the liberation, and the transformation of this man. But the thing is, is that what happened in his life is parallel with what Christ does in ours. So many of us have testimonies, not necessarily of conversion, even though you might have that. We have testimonies where God got us out of sexual perversion, of sin that bound us of different types of angers that consumed us for years of bitterness. God has also got us out of 
physical afflictions. Some of our testimonies are more physical afflictions, especially with some of us that might be experiencing COVID these days, right? We've been sick, disabled, unhealthy. We felt useless in God's kingdom because we couldn't do anything except for pray. We felt that everyone else's gifts were above and beyond because of our physical afflictions. It brought us into a despair. So that is our afflictions. And not only that, but we've experienced afflictions at the hands of others. Abusive family relationships. Ungodly relationships. And so it erodes our standing with God in the way that our fellowship with Him. And so we have those afflictions. All of us possess something of these. But guess what? We all possess the cure that God has given us in those afflictions. If you have a testimony, the cure is the same as the demoniac man. It is Christ. Christ got you out of it. He gave the Holy Spirit that he might save you. The gospel saved us. It eliminated our minds. And Christ has made done work in our lives to take us away from those afflictions. Christ overpowers the spiritual deadness that bound us in sin. The Holy Spirit gave us power to go through that, to conquer it. That's why we see in the scripture often victory we have in Christ. He conquers sinful addictions. He overpowers our physical despair. He could heal. And some of us might have testimonies of those healings. But some of us, he might give us contentment in dealing with that healing. And that is a testimony in itself. And Christ also overpowers our abuse, and he can bring forgiveness. And that might be your testimony. Some of you might have that. All of us are going to have difference in those things. And in Christ, we too have been transformed. You are now sitting by the Lord's feet in your right mind. Instead of wandering around the tombs of greed and covetousness, you're now content. Not seeking the ideal Canadian family, but the biblical family is now what matters to you. You are now clothed with dignity and modesty. Rather than any cravings for unlawful sexual affection or attention, purity and conviction of modesty is now there, where it never was before. Purity is now beautiful in your eyes. Why? Christ. He made it that way. He gave us the Holy Spirit that would change us. And now you too are sitting in your right mind. Rather than crying out in turmoil, in your afflictions, you are now blessing God in His abundant mercy, and that memory is now etched in your minds of the mercies of God. You are trophies of grace, and every one of you has testimonial stories on that. So what should we do with those? You got them. No doubt some of you might have journaled them down. What should we do with them? Let's look at verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him this, Now look here. Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And so he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all were marveling. A different response. A man taking what he knew of Christ, his delivery, how he was delivered with Christ, running off and saying, look at what the Lord has done for me. That's what he ends up doing. See, Charles Spurgeon said this, 
said personal evidence of the power of grace has a wonderfully convincing force upon the person's conscience. Personal evidence of the power of grace, your testimony, has a wonderful convincing force upon the conscience of another person. First-hand evidence is what we use in the court of law, not second-hand. You bring second-hand, that's cast out. No one cares about that. That's not going to be valuable. The judge is looking for first-hand account. When you hear about somebody traveling, you don't want to hear about it from his best friend. You want to hear about it from him who is there, who saw it. That registers more with us. And so it is, is that you too have experienced affliction, liberation in some ways, and transformation. So therefore, go to your friends. Go to Beaumont. Go to Leduc. Put it on your Facebook page. Whatever you got to do, tell the world what he has done. Encourage your brothers. There's brothers who are struggling in this day and age and in this situation that we're in. They feel God is distant. Your testimony reminds them God is not distant. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still here. He is still working among his people. And that excites us. What about the unbelievers? Tell them. Let them know about what Christ has done for you. And perhaps they'll sit there and they'll ponder it. I can't tell you how many times at work I've been able to explain something that God has done in my life and the eyes all of a sudden shoot up. And it feels as though almost as the scripture says they marveled. And I don't know what God's going to do with those, but I leave those. If you don't have a testimony at all, if nothing, none of this makes sense to you, there's never been a time of affliction in your life. Never struggled with sin. You've never had a time where you felt liberated by Christ. You've never been had a time of transformation. That's where you have to talk to Pastor Me. Have a talk. He wants to talk. Talk to me. Wherever you got to talk to. Because we have some good news for you. In the form of the gospel. And who our God is. We can tell you who he is. But if you are a Christian. Our scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ has authority over all afflictions. He alone will provide us with the testimonies of liberation and transformation. Speak to the world and tell them your testimony. The big question really is, right now, who are you going to tell first? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God that works the miraculous through all times. That you are not just a God of the Old Testament or of the New Testament time of Christ, but we live in the day and age of the church. And your gospel is at work here too. We have testimonies of salvation where we could tell people of our struggle with sin and that you have relieved us of it and the peace that you've given to us. Let us proclaim those. If we have testimonies of healing, let us shout those out. Testimonies of affliction where we were burdened or depressed and you took us out of it. Let us speak those from the mountaintops as well. Let all the world know that you are a God who saves, you are a God who liberate, uh, liberates and delivers sinners from turmoil. And you are the God of Christ. And we thank you that you do these things for us. That we are not distant from you, but you are here in a very present reality. And your, more, your mercies are new every day. 
be with us and give us people that we can speak to and give us creative ideas on getting out the testimony of your goodness, mercy, and compassion upon us. And so in this way, we pray that you be glorified, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.